0: Well, folks, a very warm welcome to the latest edition of our Generation podcast. It's great to have you with us again. Uh, Generation is a podcast where we talk about largely machine not exclusively, but missional ideas from all over the world. And it's so good to be with you again. Again, we do apologise for the quality of our audio. We are doing most of this through Zoom, so we don't have access to the same professional equipment that we had access to in former days, before these strange days of COVID. But my guest today is a man I met 10 years ago at the Lausanne conference in Cape Town, South Africa. He is Dr. Siegfried Nugebeni. And Siegfried is a Regional Director for Southern Africa for SIM, S-I-M, which is Serving in Mission. Um, Siegfried uh, is a well-known African church leader. He holds a PhD in Missiology from the University of the Free State. He's got an Emmy in Missions from the South Africa Theological Seminary, and he's got a name, Phil, from Stellenbosch. So we're very grateful for Siegfried, who's an African thinker and leader, to come along. Welcome, Siegfried. It's good to have you with us.
1: Uh, Thank you, David. It's good to connect again after almost 10 years.
0: Yeah, and you haven't changed a bit.
1: (laughs) Besides that little bit of grey hair that I see in you and uh, see in me as well if I look, look myself in the mirror
0: absolutely we're greyer and hopefully we're any wiser um tell us a wee bit about your life secret we're we're really you know the folks over here are interested in you um, like where you were brought up and how you came to faith
1: yeah look i was born in uh, in a province called wazulu natal Uh, that is south africa and for those who do not know wazulu natal you might know durban it's that province uh, near durban Um, among the Zulu people. So if you know the tribes in South Africa, I'm Zulu. So that's where I was born and uh, grew up. Um, And I also got married to uh, a young lady then, uh, almost the same age as me. Her name is Maureen, and we were both uh, born and grew up as Zulu. Uh, Although now we live in a different city of Cape Town, And another province.
0: Great. Well, actually, one of our ministers is from your area, Rory Stott, who's a minister in Fort up in the Highlands. He is from the Durban area, so it is familiar
1: uh, to us. Can you tell us how you came to faith? I always thought that I was a Christian um, because I was born and raised up in a church. Mm-hmm. But um, I realized that uh, later, when my late teens, that I wasn't really following Christ. And I, that came about when we had um, uh, movements, uh, Christian student movements, coming to our high school and, uh, you know, um, trying to uh, convert us through preaching of the gospel. And I was one of the people who really scorned at them because uh, I didn't think that, uh, you know, you need to change your life. You can be a Christian uh, by name, but uh, just continue to live your normal life. And also, I just lived life as an African, as a Zulu person, where we go to church on Sunday, but we do um, almost everything or anything that is not related to Christ or Christianity and the other times. And that includes um, the cult of ancestral worship, which I never thought of it as um, as sin, as uh, worshiping other gods. I never saw it in that light. But in the eighties, uh, I was a teenager and the Lord in his grace and mercy uh, led me uh, to a group of people That was high time in South Africa of apartheid and it was very difficult to live um, uh, as a young person and as a Christian those days. And my intention of um, approaching this group of people was, of course, um, as a young person, I thought I was smarter and I would convince them that this faith is a white man's faith, same faith that is oppressing us and um, that's how God uh, navigated things for me to end up there thinking that I was smarter. Uh, David, it didn't take um, uh, days before I was hit right by the gospel because those people were just faithful, you know, opening the Bible, talk about Christ and explaining the gospel to me. I think, you know, it took about three days and I realized that um, I've heard about the gospel I know something about God and Christ, but I never really had uh, a a living and personal relationship with him, and that changed things completely. And from that year on in my late uh, teens, I um, gave my life to the Lord, and the Lord from there has been gracious in uh, just helping me to grow and uh, build this desire of wanting to spend my life serving him and nothing else. So that's how I became a Christian in my late teens, and it was true what was happening at the time, and the Lord was working in that.
0: That is really interesting. Do you think there's any truth in that objection that Christianity is a white man's religion? I mean, is
1: that a big thing in South Africa? Um it was a big thing then, and it is still a big thing now. but I think you know if you if you if you look at social media and look at uh, many people who um, uh, um, uh, write articles and speak there, uh, they will still follow um, the Bible, but um, they will deny all else that is challenging them to follow Christ and only Christ. And they will call that as colonialism or white man's religion. Uh, And of course, you know, it's difficult for a Christian to swallow that, to believe in that. In fact, just last night, I was watching this video uh, where we have this man who is well-known in South Africa, who is now put behind the bars because of money laundering, millions, and there are people who are defending him. And um, one leader um, came up saying, why are we following Christ, who is a white man, and we are betraying this brother, who is an African? So it does show that people are still uh, stuck. For me, it's not really even theology. It's just a confusion. Uh, I don't think people uh, truly uh, know what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a follower of Christ.
0: Yeah. Is it is it tough in South Africa? I mean, I've traveled a little bit in South Africa and other African nations and like kind of indigenous beliefs are very important, especially you know, connect, connected to death. There's a lot of rituals, ancestor worship. Um, folk asked me recently about dressing a gravestone. People spend a fortune that they don't have in funerals that they don't need. And it's a really big issue to break away from that. How tough is it for a Christian to go against traditional tribal
1: values? It's very, very difficult for a Christian to do that. Um, there are Christians who stand to their ground But, of course, uh, there are consequences uh, within their own families where uh, they will be uh, discriminated against uh, or even blamed for any calamities that fall uh, the family. Because they will say, the family will say, it's because you now uh, don't do what we do. Uh, We do not please our ancestors. We do not uh, do those rituals in the way that our forefathers were doing them. Uh, even if you allow them to continue and do that, but if you don't do it, uh, they do blame on, blame, put a blame on you if anything happens to them. Because in an African uh, context, anything has a spiritual meaning. Mm-hmm. So any, if someone is sick, there is a, a reason behind it. And there might be an ancestor that is not happy because of uh, maybe some things that has happened. And he will allow a child to death. He will allow an accident to happen. He uh, will allow someone from the family not to find employment. And now the third part, which is very painful for, uh, for a Christian, is when you are blamed for that, knowing very well that these things, they happen to all people. Even if you compromise your faith, these things will continue to, to happen. So those Christians who stand the ground, um, uh, I salute them because it's the right way to do. But it is not easy. Mm.
0: Okay, we'll talk about some of that stuff later. Uh, you work for SIM. Can you tell us a little bit what that work involves? You, you're regional director for Southern Africa. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, well, SIM is um, about 130 years old organization, which was started in many parts of the world. Uh, Here in South Africa, it started as uh, CAPE General Mission, which uh, later developed into AEF and then merged with uh, SIM and retained the acronym SIM, which is different from the original uh, meaning of the word SIM. It used to be Sudan Interior Missions. Now, um, SIM stands for Serving in Missions. Uh, SIM uh, works in more than 70 countries in the world. And we have more than 4,000 uh, Christian workers in those countries. In South Africa, in South Africa is a both a sending country and a receiving country. We've been sending for many years because of uh, the connection with Andrew Murray and others who started the mission here. But we've also been receiving right from the beginning. So we've got almost 50-50 of missionaries that have been sent from here uh, to other parts of the world. Or some, they are sent from South Africa and they work in South Africa, but we also have other missionaries who come from other countries. So our emphasis in South Africa uh, is uh, uh, really, uh, can summarize it in, in three, because you know, each entity does it differently. But this part of the world, uh, our region, we are truly seeking to mobilize um, the, the, the whole church to take the whole gospel. To the whole world. Mm-hmm. Now, mobilization, but why do I quote that Luzon statement? Um, because as you would all know, that missions originated from the West where Christianity was strong mm-hmm. and it came to the rest of the world, including Africa. But the time now is that every believer should be mobilized to take the gospel to where God is calling him. So we believe today that missions is from uh, anywhere to everywhere. Um, We also believe that today, Christian uh, 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 missions um, happens where uh, the Lord is opening the doors in a different way than 100 years ago, or 40 years ago, or even 20 years ago, where we have the majority of the closed countries in our doorsteps. So that too is missions. So it is very important, and SIM South Africa has seen this, that mobilizing all believers, including those that were never part of world evangelization. Um, Here I'm talking about um, African churches. We are still struggling to help them understand that they are called as any other Christian who is called to take part uh, in what God is doing. So that's the first part. But the other part is um, uh, really to do with, uh, with discipling, with discipling believers. Um, it's been said repeatedly in different parts, uh, the conferences that I've attended, the books that have been written about this, that Christianity in Africa, and that includes South Africa, is very wide. You know, in South Africa, we talk about 76% and that 76% of Christianity is the latest statements, uh, I mean, uh, statistics. Before that, we were enjoying about 80 plus percent, but it's dropping slightly. But still, 76% is a huge percentage. But when you come to the ground and observe things, you realize that that saying of uh, Christianity being very wide but an inch deep is very true. Mm-hmm. And we at SIM South Africa, we believe that in order to rectify that, uh, in order to help that situation, is, is, is true discipleship. So we see ourselves as disciples who are making disciples. We want to see uh, a discipleship just going and rolling out to many parts uh, of the world. And those that are, are being evangelized, they are being discipled, and they are dis- being discipled into healthy churches. So this theme runs runs through all of SIM, really, but uh, here in South Africa, and pers- especially personally, uh, this is very close to my heart. So um, reaching out um, with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also making sure that we disciple those people who are becoming Christians. And then just lastly, um, our our history as mission, um, just all of missions, but more um, particularly as that of uh, of, of, uh, our organization is that we've been a very uh, Western uh, uh, alert organization, I praise God that that is changing, uh, not because it's wrong to be led by, from West, but I think it's time that we realize that God is raising his church for missions. So the emphasis now with SIM, and really this is our international director uh, who called us in the uh, beginning of the year, and we started talking about how does it look like to be a global community? What does it mean for SIM to be a global community? We spend time in Kenya uh, discussing this and praying about this. And although we're still talking about it, we haven't arrived yet, but it is opening doors to say that we need to hold hands together uh, as Christian brothers and sisters from all over the world. You're from West, you're from Asia, you're from Africa. We are all Christians. How do we hold hands together and agree that God has called his church and that we are that church and move together to do what God has called us to do? So that, just in a nutshell, is what we at SIM are doing. Yeah, I mean, these
0: are great themes. And in many ways, they're exactly the same themes that we cope with here in the West, especially that of discipleship that evangelism is not just getting folk over the line, it's getting them as mature believers in Christ. And, you know, we too are suffering from uh, prosperity gospel and all sorts of other um, aberrations. So it's great to hear that, you know, what Lausanne would call polycentric mission, you know, from everywhere to everywhere. Um, I've been talking to friends recently about kind of African theology, uh you no, know, you could argue that the early church fathers were African, uh, Augustine uh, and folk like that. Would you say that there was a growing and a distinctive African theology these days? Or should there be an African theology? Or should theology be really nationless?
1: Yeah. Um, I think my response there, uh, David, um, will be like this. I think number one, what do we mean by African theology? Because it is in the definition uh, that it will be very helpful. Uh, Biancato, who was uh, from Nigeria and ended up uh, working in East Africa, is one of my favorite theologians. Uh, he is with the Lord. He died at a very young age, age uh, uh, late, uh, 39, and he had his PhD already. He was a very smart leader in Africa. Um, he says, if by African theology, we mean the practice of theology in the context of Africa, which is not really divorced from other parts of Africa, but trying to wrestle and help understand and addresses the issues that we have in Africa, then yes, we do need to encourage that Uh, and and it does call that African theology. Uh, In other words, if I can just reinforce what I'm saying uh, by giving an example, um, we we might not have the same uh, problem of like, for example, ancestral worship in other parts of the world, but that might be a problem in many parts of Africa, and I know that Asia also struggles with that. So that's just one example. But now, how our Christian theology addresses that? Because it is there in the Bible. It's not formulating a different Bible or coming up with a different theology, but it is that Christian theology that is helping us to address and respond to issues that we face in those contexts. So if we see African theology in that light, I think, yes, we need to encourage more and more people to think about African theology. Now, the other part that I struggle with, as I've been um, uh, teaching myself, uh, lecturing and so on, etc., cetera, um, you, you do find our brothers and sisters uh, in the continent Uh, trying to fight against what we call Christian theology because they want to include or say that theology should be a continuation of what God has been doing all along. And to give you an example, again, going back to ancestral worship, the ancestral worship doesn't deny the existence of a God. They believe that God is there. They believe that God is the author and creator. They believe that God, uh, in all the attributes of God, especially in the Zulu worldview where I come from, if you take all the the attributes of God in Zulu and look at the Bible, you will say, What is the difference? Mm -hmm. And now they will promote that from there. But the challenge with that is that the African thinking, the African traditional beliefs, they believe that God is too big. And this God who is too big is also far away up somewhere there in heaven and we cannot approach him. So the only way to approach this God is through our relatives, our fathers and mothers, our uncles who have lived with us, who knows us, who are now dead. And they believe that in their state of being dead, wherever they are, no one is sure where they are, what they do, but they believe that they are more nearer to God. So now they cannot, we cannot approach God directly because of where he is, but also because of his greatness. And they believe that these ancestors, these part of our families that have gone before us are better positioned to do that. And now um, if we look at African theology from that, that is just one example then I personally have a problem with that. But just going back to the you know, African theology, if my theology is helping me to address the things that I'm faced with here in South Africa, then if you call that African theology or African theolog- theologizing, then I'm happy with that de- definition. Yeah,
0: it's really helpful. Um, I think that's illuminated us here, you know, that it's really applying theology, which is world theology, biblical theology, to the specific theological spiritual environment of uh, Southern Africa or the southern part of Africa. Can, Can I ask you, maybe, I hope it's not too controversial, but in many ways it's an elephant in the room. A lot of our listeners... Whenever we talk of Africa, if anybody mentions Africa, India, parts of Asia, immediately people talk about underdeveloped, poverty, corruption. How do you as an African church leader feel when people in the West, their first impression of the continent of Africa is poverty and, and corruption? I'm interested to know how you feel about that perception? <laughs> maybe you share it, maybe you react against it. Yeah. What do you think?
1: Yeah, thanks, David. Uh, yes, that's a <laughs> uh, that's a very interesting one. Um, when I hear people uh, saying that about Africa, my immediate reaction, of course, is uh, uh, is that of disappointment, and is that of. Uh, I I, I do want to um, uh, defend um, those areas, those continents, more especially the African continent. Um, Sometimes, you know, people use the word uh, dark continent. Uh, It is true that there's a lot of poverty in the African continent. It is true that there's a lot of crime. Uh, In fact, um, you know, if... uh, uh, some of your listeners know what's happening in South Africa right now. Um, it's very disappointing to see people in top leadership, uh, in the government positions, people are earning a lot of money, uh, still uh, involved in crime, and get the money that is put aside to help poor people and they use it for themselves. And these are people who are earning a lot of money. So difficult to defend it. Uh, When you see that's happening, I think as a Christian uh, in this country, I need to be standing up and join other voices of Christian brothers and sisters and say that is wrong. But the thing that I want to come to, David, is that it's, um, although we know there is poverty, but though people who have been in Africa, people who have, have strong relationships with Africa. They also know the generosity of Africa. Mm. Now, the generosity of Africa is not always in dollars or in rents or in pounds. And I think that's where the world, including the mission world, which I'm part of, that's where then we struggle. Because when we approach our people, um, you know, recently I... I, I had a very sad scenario. Um, I'm sorry, I'm bringing this as an example. You're not aware of this. Uh, we had um, a series of break-ins in our home. But, you know, and, and things were taken. Uh, things that we can live without, you know, the televisions, the you know, things like that. But, but the reason I'm bringing this as an example is I have been amazed at how God's people reacted immediately. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's huge generosity. There are people who came physically and say, Siegfried, what can we do? You know, there are people who came with their tools and put back the beckler bars. There are people who say, well, I've got an extra curtain, curtains that were taken. So this is not necessarily in money terms, but the things that we got recovered, David, is way more than what we have before. And, and and this is what I'm talking about. So when we think of Africa, um, we we should also understand the context. We should understand this uh, wonderful, warm uh, generosity of people. And of course, I do want to say that another thing that is really uh, that that always throws spanner in the wheels and makes it not at uh, ten as we want is the way we define economy. Because of time, I'm not going to dwell a lot on that, but I want to make an example. I go to Zimbabwe. Uh, We all know uh, that Zimbabwe has been struggling for many, many years, and it's very sad. And I went to Zimbabwe, I went to this rural part of Zimbabwe, and I was there, and I saw bananas. They were falling from their banana trees. They were rotting on the ground. I saw avocados, same thing. I saw fields of maize, pond maize, and there was a lot of things that people in that part of the Zimbabwe uh, uh, province I visited that that they have. And we had this mission conversation of how the Zimbabweans will never be able to support their missionary. And as we're having this conversation, I turn around and say, why do we always think of money? Mm. as the only means of supporting missions, Uh, why people cannot organise themselves and give what they have towards missions? And the mission, uh, the admin, the administrative part of the mission can decide what do they do with these gifts? How do they sell these gifts in order to change and have money? Because I know that at the end, We do need money. So the the question you're asking me, it is a difficult one because uh, yes, there is poverty and I will never defend the crime that is taking place here in South Africa. Uh, We are very disappointed it is happening. But to look at the continent and uh, come with uh, one straw and paint it all dark, uh, you have missed a lot. There are wonderful things that god is doing in this lovely continent and um you know um uh, i think africa is a leader in the world but we need to work together to discover that gold to discover that wealth, which is in people in the people of africa
0: yeah, that's great. And, and conversations like this that, that we're having just now, linking the the UK church with um, your, yourselves certainly help that process. I, I, another question I know that a lot of people are asking, I mean, we've spoken about modern mission is, again, to use that word, polycentric, from everywhere to everywhere. Um, Indigenisation is huge. We're looking at African leadership. Is there still a place uh, in the countries you serve—South Africa, Zimbabwe, Malawi, um, etc.—is there still a place for old-school Scottish, English, British missionaries, white
1: missionaries to South to Africa? A quick and very short answer is yes, <laughs> but then I need to explain a little bit. Um. It is, yes, because I believe that missions, it's what God is doing in his world. So people who respond positively in missions are people who, uh, who are heeding God's call to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. You know, we talk about Great Commission, we talk about uh, um, Abraham's obedience, you know. Others, they call it that, uh, the, 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 the top line blessing, the second, whatever you call it. But uh, we know that when God called Abraham, he said to him, uh, the, the, the mission, the Many nations will be blessed through you as well. So I think the obedient part of us as Christians, no matter where you are in the world, is to say, Yes, Lord, to where God is calling us. And God is calling us. Um, where there are people who are called to be pastors in the local churches. There are people who are called to be um, whatever, you know, place where God is calling you. But there's also a call to go to the ends of the earth. Now, that's why it was a quick yes. But secondly, I do want to say, what do we do then when we go to missions? Um, If someone from England Is a gifted evangelist. If he comes to the middle of a a township in Cape Town and starts evangelizing, I know that God will use him because uh, it is God and through his word and his spirit that changes people. So God will do it. But from a human point of view, it takes more time for someone who does not have a clue of what is happening in the middle of a township of Kailisha, who doesn't even, even understand whether this person is a Christian or not, uh, to be able to get that gospel across to a person. So why not form a partnership and work with local believers who are already, uh, who, who know already the people in his or her context. So, for example, when I talk about evangelism, uh, as a missionary coming from a different culture to another culture, if I get to that culture and I find that there are people who are truly gospel people, followers of Christ, I would rather come alongside them, partner with them, and where they need training, then I will focus on that training. To make sure that in their ministry of uh, proclaim of, of evangelizing uh, they do it well, so th- that is just one example, but another example where I think uh, one can come alongside uh, the local believers in missions let 's think a little bit about church planting and one of our I think he's retired now. He's been a a theological educator in many parts of Africa. Dr. Paul Bowers. I I don't have this article, it was never recorded. I wish it was recorded, but he said something like this, that in Africa, uh, many leaders are trained in the West or from the West. Although they are Africans, but their training is very Western. Now, if we think just about that, just spend a minute to think about that a little bit. For me, it is true that our brothers and sisters in the West have been for many years, been blessed by good theological education. For example, they've been Christian for many years. But What about, that person who has passion to teach theology, uh, who has time to go out as a missionary, come over to Africa, for example, as a missionary. Spend time understanding what God is doing in Africa, orientation. Uh, Learn about the things that God is doing through the people of Africa, And then once, I know it will take a lot of time. And once we have done that, I think that's where we will make a huge impact. Some of the things that we've spoken about earlier, David, in terms of corruption Mm -hmm. um, and poverty, lack of uh, development, it's because our leaders, and I'm talking about church leaders, some of them, they were never equipped. Um, They don't know how to lead a local church. Um, I was trained in the best school in Cape Town and I went back and I taught there. It's a wonderful school. Mm -hmm. But you know, the day I was placed to plant a church in the township, which was cross-cultural, I was pulling my hair. I didn't know what I was doing. I had all the best scholars in 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 my shelves, you know, all the books and everything. I still remember very well, all my good assignments were there. But it's different out there on the ground. So we need people who will descend, people would be humble enough to say, I have been trained, I have this behind me, but I don't know this context. And 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 please, Lord, help me, because I I, I want to be doing this in a way that doesn't just go over the heads of people, but I want Christian leaders to be true leaders in their own right, in their own context. Now, going back to where I was saying earlier on about about being um, uh, 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 trained in a Western way, by using the word West, I'm not necessarily talking about going to England or America. Even here in South Africa, my own theological college is very Western in its approach. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if we are not missing... Uh, Something with that good theology in terms of really connecting it to the people on the ground so that people understand and grow as Christians. Um, We will never resolve all the problems that we see in the church in Africa today. But I'm telling you, uh, I think that most of it will be resolved. There are people who go to church, they are faithfully following their leaders but they don't have a clue of what it means to be a Christian. They don't have a clue of what is the calling of the church. So those are the things that my heart's desire uh, um, uh, is when I think of missionaries in just one aspect of theological education. People understand the context. People allow the indigenization of Christianity and that of the gospel to take place. And not in missions, I call this, I call it, come and be like me. I don't know if you understand that, but, you know, yes. So, and I do it sometimes. I'm an African, I'm a Zulu person. Sometimes I do find myself doing that when I visit pockets of Africa that are slightly different from me. I want people to be like me, and that is wrong. Mm -hmm. I want people to be like Jesus in their own context. Yeah, I think that's
0: almost the quote of of this podcast. I want people to be like Jesus in their own context. That really is quite a wonderful thing. So what you're saying is to those of us in the West, yes, come, but be humble. Um, Come at our invitation. Do what we need, not what you think we need. Um, Take time, pause and learn about us and really respect uh, our culture. I mean, it's it's not complex, is it? Um, time is just flying, Siegfried. We're in our final lap now. I know that you've been doing a lot of thinking recently on how we can be a missional church in a post-COVID context. Uh, I know that this is the subject of another complete podcast, <laughs> but just give us some big picture stuff uh, of how we can be missional in this you know, worldwide pandemic.
1: Yeah. You know, I just want to take you back to last year, um, I think it was in August, where this uh, local church in Deben asked me to speak in their conference. It was a weekend conference, and by Friday to end on a Monday. But they told me what they want me to speak on, which was very difficult because it's not my line. They were saying we are a very diverse Um, uh, community. You know, there are people from South Africa, mainly South Africans, but uh, from different diverse groups. It's a city church close to a university in Devon. And they say, well, please come and help us on how we can live as Christians uh, in this local church, as a family in this local church. And, and, And for me, one thing that really jumped immediately is missional. How do we live to be missional as Christians? And I started looking at different parts of scripture, but one that uh, uh, really uh, amazed me is the early church. There are a couple of things that happened in the early church. They were sharing together. They were praying together. Um, By sharing, I mean they were sharing food together. And they were praying together. But also when someone has something that he didn't need anymore, he will sell that and he will bring some of, um, 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 well, the Bible doesn't say some of. Uh, I'm putting that because I'm sure that uh, mm-hmm. if uh, Ananias and his wife have come back to the apostle and say, hey, we sold our, our, our field for 100,000 rand, if I can make a South African example. Uh, but guys, uh, we really do need to put 50,000 rand aside for our children. Uh, and, and then they bring 50,000 to apostles Um, to the feet of the apostles, I think that would have been accepted. But the problem is that they lied. But now, that is that whole thing that we learn in the early church for me is missional. Coming to COVID, what has God taught us during this time of COVID? Where many churches uh, cannot meet, uh, here in South Africa, we have just started now uh, under level one that we can go and meet. Uh, But we meet in small numbers. We're not allowed to meet in big numbers. There are a lot of challenges. But what the church can do during this time of COVID and beyond COVID? You know, a simple answer is to go back to what we were called to be. Because the early church was not a big church, was not one of the mega churches. But they were still able to know who amongst them in the community was struggling with what? And they'll be able to visit, they'll be able to help that person. So in terms of what we are faced, what we are faced with in, in, in the COVID, what are the things that God has given us? You know it's a question that we ask of Moses um, when God was calling Moses, "What is it in your hand?" So I want to believe that the church is equipped with so many things including resources that can be used towards uh, helping others, but not just the resources. Um, the church can teach the world of how to care. In fact, the church has done that. If you study the history uh, of uh, the pandemics, it is the Christian people who have gone out and care for people. Mm. So I think for me, my, 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 my desire, Uh, during this time of COVID and post-COVID is to be church, to be a God's follower, to be that neighbor that Jesus talks about uh, um, uh, in a a good Samaritan. How do I go out of my way to be a good neighbor to my neighbor and who is my neighbor? So um, those are just a few quick thoughts Um, as we think of um, a Christian response in this time of our COVID. And of course, you know, um, let me make some few examples of a South African context. This might not apply to all your listeners. What we have seen here in South Africa, uh, number one, we have seen the pandemic destroying, especially um, having a huge impact to those um, vulnerable communities. Is that not the part where the church will be seen and being the light and salt of the world? So that's number one. Number two, we have seen the resurgence. It has been there, but COVID has brought this again to the surface. The racial tensions in South Africa. And I know I'm not just talking about the Black Lives Matter. That too is very important. And it's sad what happened in the States um, when Mr. George Floyd was killed by the police. But that is happening in South Africa, and uh, it's not just happening because of uh, the Black Lives Movement that started in the in in, in, the, in the U.S. It's while some of the things that COVID has really brought to our attention, the reality and the hardness uh, uh, of living during these difficult times, where people are depressed, where people are losing are losing their jobs, uh, people are taking. Uh, cut salaries and so on, etc. Racism has raised its ugly head again in South Africa. Mm. And this is part of this pandemic uh, of COVID season. But how we as a church find a way of saying we are actually salt and light. Where there's decay, we are salt. We're not going to allow that decay to continue eating. In our society. And a light where there is darkness. I've many times mentioned the corruption in our government here. But thirdly, in South Africa, and this will be the last example um, of things that have come up on the surface, is the gender-based violence. I was talking to a group of Christians not so long ago, and I, Challenge them as I challenge myself. And I say what we learn from this season of COVID is, is how we raise our children, both boys and girls. I think there's a tendency in all our cultures in South Africa that we tend to focus too much on a girl child. Yes, that is correct because we know that they are more vulnerable. But the boy child is left on his own. Uh, there's no proper coming alongside him and helping him to uh, to to grow to be a man who take full responsibility of himself, of those who are are uh, 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 close to him. Because here in South Africa, it's the girlfriends that are being killed by their boyfriends. Very strange. Of course, there are many others who just go and uh, and, and and attack vulnerable young people and women. So it goes back to what and how do we respond as the church of God. And to summarize it, we go back to our calling to live as the church that is called out and called to go and be a light and salt in the world. Agreed.
0: Our time has gone and more than gone. Thank you. You have been so helpful. There's so many things to think about in topics that you've raised in the last 45 minutes. Um, please be assured of our interest in Africa Uh, listeners uh, Google Siegfried's name and SIM look at his work there remember the work in the southern part of Africa Siegfried thank you for being uh, with us I hope it's not 10 years until we meet again and we hope that you'll be able to after these strange days come over to the UK and meet with us again
1: thank you well thank you so much David I've really enjoyed to catch up with you and thank you to your listeners Pleasure.